Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com. Hello, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I'm Joy Rios, and today I'm talking with Maureen Laudister. She's the Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer at MMIT. Maureen is passionate about making life-changing drugs and innovative therapies more easily accessible to all patients. As a registered nurse, she saw firsthand what happens to patients and families when access to drugs is delayed or not possible. And I learned a lot from our conversation and think you will too. So let's get started. Thanks for being with me today. My name is Joy Rios. We're at the Hit Like a Girl podcast, and I like to describe healthcare as a super complex puzzle, sometimes like a 3,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 piece puzzle. We all kind of have our own little key to it. And as we learn more from each other, we get to you know understand more of the big picture. Can you please take a moment to introduce yourself and talk about your piece of the health IT puzzle? I sure can. I would love to. So I'm Maureen Lanzer. I'm the Global Chief Commercial Officer of an organization that is focused on smoothing access to therapies for patients who need life-saving therapies. So that organization that I'm part of is actually right now a couple of different entities that we're bringing together. One of them is MMIT, Evaluate Pharma, the Denim Group, and Penalgo. So these are all 
best in class kind of gold standard organizations that are really awesome at what they do and we're bringing them together to be able to kind of unify around this common mission of smoothing access to therapy for for patients who are trying to access drug therapy. So which so kind I, of yeah, which kind of therapies are you talking about? Sure. So I can make this a little bit more tangible. I'm specifically talking about drug therapy, prescription therapy that your physician would give you to be able to get treatment for any type of acute or chronic illness. So in our lives, if we as individuals or our family members have ever suffered from chronic illness, an acute condition, we kind of understand the reliance we have on drug therapy to be able to feel better and get better to you know, either manage a disease state or potentially even get cured. Drugs are a really big part of our healthcare system and really important. We spend about $500 billion a year in the United States on prescription drug therapy. And it's fortunate that if you look over the last decade or so, there's been a ton of innovation in this space. There's been a lot more technology and being able to get very targeted therapies so that we can treat disease better. A lot of immunotherapies, genomics, just very targeted specialty therapies. So all of that is really, really good. The challenge is, is that for patients to be able to get access to all of those therapies so that they can get the treatment they need and there's not a delay in therapy, there's a lot of things that have to come together. And a lot of those things that have to come together include the starts with the pharmaceutical manufacturer kind of knowing the right treatment to bring to market because of the people that have a specific disease state and having the resources to being able to do that. And then from there, as that therapy works its way through the drug approval process, it's physicians knowing that that therapy is available and knowing that a patient can get access to it. And then lastly, it's the patient actually being able to get access to that therapy and then being able to have good adherence because they can stay on the therapy and tolerate it. For all of those things to work and all those pieces of the puzzle to come together, it takes a lot of data, it takes a lot of intelligence, it takes technology to be able to support that workflow. That's what we call smoothing access to therapy is to being able to facilitate that with the right intelligence and technology. And that's what our organization is all about. Okay, I have a couple questions from different angles. One is because the prescription drug monitoring program, does that or how does that come into play into your line of work? It's a really good question because, as you said, there's, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle to this kind of industry challenge. And I would say where we help to support the flow of all of this is that when, when a new drug comes to market and there is a set of criteria that payers have on who can access that drug and when is it appropriate for that person to go on that drug, there's a lot of complexity to all that. And what we're going to do in smoothing access to therapy is we're going to help all the stakeholders in healthcare really understand the availability of that drug, the access parameters for being able to get on that therapy and trying to kind of demystify that. So this specific question around monitoring is a little bit adjacent to the, the way that we're kind of going about fulfilling our mission. That makes sense. I, the reason I ask is because a friend of mine from years and years ago has lupus and she was sharing with me that she has issues getting access to some of the drugs that she is prescribed 
mainly from what I understand, because there's such a watch on the, op- like there's, you know, the opioid epidemic, people trying to make sure that they're not drug seekers, et cetera. And yeah. I j- just from your perspective, I literally don't understand what she was going through. And I'm trying to put those pieces together of like, okay, I know that people are trying to do a good job in monitoring, like that there's not overuse, Etc. Like we need like the smoothing of the process, right? Like it's all of these pieces that need to fit together well to make it work for everyone. And anyway, it was something that came up for me recently, and I'm like, oh, you might be help me understand better. (laughs) But you understand. So that's actually a really great example. So your friend, this is a, a difficult chronic illness, and she's very dependent on drug therapy. Delays in being able to get that treatment or periods of time where she's without that treatment are going to have very negative consequential impacts on her health. And that's really frustrating and scary to, you know, have any type of difficulty in getting that therapy. And there's a lot of reasons that go into that. The part of delays in therapy with regard to understanding how patients can get that treatment is a lot of what we help to solve. So what are some of the biggest well, challenges and also what are some of the challenges that you have already overcome? Because I'm sure that it's an ongoing process. It's not like, oh, you fixed one problem and it's solved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there's there's definitely a lot more, definitely a lot more problems to solve. So when you think about a lot of the therapies that are coming to market right now are very expensive. They're complex. A lot of portfolios that pharmaceutical manufacturers have are dominated by therapies that are very high cost, a lot of oncology, um, a lot of immunology, things like that that are coming to market. And one of the biggest challenges is to help pharmaceutical manufacturers know the therapy to bring to market because they have the right data about how that drug will perform. And then once they're bringing it to market is to help them understand What's the totality of individuals that will be able to access that? And therefore, what type of programs they should set up to be able to get that drug to patients? Should there be contracting that occurs? Should there be more done to be able to help on the cost side with copay programs? Should there be more done to be able to educate physicians about the availability of this drug? So there's a lot of moving pieces. And I would say that the biggest challenge that kind of remains is having all the data quickly to understand what is the best strategy or the best recipe for that therapy, for that patient population, for that disease state, because there's just a lot of nuance to how the the industry has to think about this problem, depending upon the actual therapy that's coming to market. I'd say the biggest challenge is that there's so much variation in what you need to do, depending upon what what you're seeking to be able to bring to market for patients. It seems like a pretty complicated decision tree of deciding like what, who, how much education to bring to whom and when. Yes. How much of that and what are all the things that I need to consider for my drug with the patients that I need to be able to reach and the physicians that need to know that this therapy is available. There's a lot of variation out there. I mean, there are some drugs that come to market that treat something like hypertension or depression. And there's just millions and millions of people that suffer from that condition. And the way you would go about thinking about that would be one way. And then there are very, very targeted therapies where maybe the entire set of individuals who are struggling like that might be a couple hundred people. 
And that would be more of a rare orphan disease. And the way you would need to think about bringing that therapy to market and you know, leveraging your strategy is going to be very different. And more and more, as we kind of think about innovation coming to this market, more and more therapies are targeted to very specific patient cohorts. And therefore, you know, the precision which which you have to think about that is a lot more difficult and a lot more consequential. And I imagine very effective if you're in a position that you can target with precision those different populations. I mean, there's going to be a larger quantity of smaller groups of people, right? Yes. That would be like, okay, you have to set up this specific educational program maybe times a thousand instead of just like a blanket you know, educational piece for yes. practice, no? Yes. And I'll tell you what, my background is clinical nursing. I started my career in nursing. And what is really great about what we're doing together around this mission is the linkage driving access for patients to the outcome on the other side is something that I can kind of clearly see and connect the dots on. And therefore, you know, that is kind of a a very motivating part about continuing to pursue this in the way that we're going about doing it. Well, that leads me to like the next question. How did you get into this line of work? Can you share with us a little bit more about your professional journey? Yeah, I sure can. So from the time I was in, let's say, grade school and started kind of contemplating what a career is and what that would kind of be for me, healthcare was something that I always wanted to do. I volunteered in a hospital in middle school and kind of uh, high school, decided that clinical nursing was for me. I loved science. I loved anatomy and physiology. I loved chemistry. I loved the idea about being able to be close to the patient. Went through undergrad, really, really loved clinical nursing. And then I got into clinical nursing and I was able to see healthcare through a little bit of a broader lens, be able to kind of understand the patient impact, but got to also understand all the other pieces of what made healthcare work. And I had an opportunity to be able to take that kind of clinical acumen and underlying kind of domain fluency and take a role in healthcare technology, kind of on the provider side around clinical software and kind of point of care technologies. And that put me in a position to be able to further broaden how I thought about healthcare and from there, being able to kind of get that perspective, the opportunity to do something in pharma kind of came into play, which has been great because where I sit now from a healthcare ecosystem standpoint, as I, I understand deeply the patient impact of decisions that are made, I understand how technology can make healthcare work better in a very direct sense. And I can put those pieces together and now see how the, the drug landscape and access to those therapies connects with all that together. So it's been an awesome career in being able to have a total healthcare landscape view. Great. Um, one of the conversations that has been coming up a lot lately has been how to make sure that the nurse's voice is and perspective is included in a lot of other aspects of healthcare. And so it sounds like you've been able to take that and bring it into the business side. And that's super important because like one of the, a common theme that comes up with guests is that there's a lot of folks that will provide a solution and not necessarily fully understand the problem. And I think that with your experience as the bedside and as a nurse, you're able to kind of connect a lot of dots for folks. So that's great to hear. Nursing is a, 
it's an amazing career. And anybody that has interest in it, I, I definitely encourage it for that very reason. There is nothing like having responsibility for somebody's healthcare on a direct basis. There's nothing like standing at a bedside with a patient who is, you know, post-op, who has gotten a difficult diagnosis, who is undergoing difficult chemotherapy care and struggling with all that's involved in that and being able to to help that patient both physically, mentally, being able to help them feel empowered, being an advocate for their healthcare, being able to simplify a lot what's going on, explain it to them, explain it to the family, and then be able to take that experience and look at that as, you know, kind of the smallest unit of the bigger healthcare system and put those things together. That experience is something that you can carry with you into so many different parts of different professional alternatives. And it's something that you can always go back to. And even today, decisions that are made in my current business, I, I often think back to my days on the floor as a clinical nurse and how how those things intersect. And it's just very, very humbling and it broadens your perspective so you can make good, confident decisions. I love that. I love all like so I've been asking everybody like what would your 10-year-old self think of what you're doing? But from what you've said, it sounds like as a 10-year-old you're like had a pretty clear idea of the direction you were going in. Is that fair? As a 10-year-old I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I would say as a person in high school, I kind of thought I would always be in clinical nursing. I never imagined that you could do anything differently. And the thought was, I love nursing and I want to kind of take care of people and I want to be in healthcare. And you don't really know and appreciate at that point sometimes in your life is that there's so many other things you can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm even kind of telling my children now, I'm a son in high school and I'm telling him, look, you may want to study these two or three things. And maybe you think this is what your major is going to be. And that's great. If you love that, you should go do that. But you will likely have jobs in your life that don't even exist today. Correct. Because of how the piece of change and and you cannot even maybe contemplate all that could be available to you and all that will be available to you. So study what you love and, you know, put your whole self into it. But as you kind of pursue your life and take on different opportunities, be very open to what you think your path could be and don't be afraid to take a risk because I never thought I'd be leading a commercial organization on a global basis for solutions that were involved in moving access to therapy with data and technology across healthcare. I, I thought I would be in an OR or on a floor. And the ability to kind of open your mind to what can be available to you is, is I think, really helpful advice. I think I totally agree. And I, you know, there's so many jobs to your point that exist today that did not exist even 15 or 20 years ago. Even anything social media related, I remember it kind of being like a joke, like, oh, I'm going to be in charge of a company's social media. Like, ha, 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 I'm going to tweet for a living. (laughs) But that's a real job. (laughs) It's a really important job. And that's a phenomenal example of something that is is a, a critical part of what it means to get your message out today. And 20 years ago, nobody could even contemplate that. All the roles in digital, all the roles in tech. Uh, there's countless examples of them, which is, I remember many, many years ago, a physician I worked with said to me, you know, there's this statement that's very true, which is, you know, seven years after you graduate from medical school, 50% of your knowledge is no longer relevant. And you have to 
you know, commit to being an ongoing learner. And I think that has broad application in, in all of our lives as things keep moving and changing and continually being open to where the world is going is, is important. Yeah, I recognize how much learning I still need to do. And I feel like I'm a pretty curious person constantly learning. And I'm like, oh, if you had to ask me about NFTs or cryptocurrency or the metaverse, I'm like, oh, I don't know. If I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> but I'm like, apparently that's where we're going. I better like hop on the train soon. <laughs> Yeah. A little, little light reading tonight before you go to bed. Yeah, right? Just figure that one out real quick. But yeah, yeah the kids that are, you know, just entering the workforce now, it's like life is going to be very different even 10 years from now, let alone 20 or more. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But I imagine the same is true also for therapeutics. And if it's precision now like if you're able like is it just going to get more and more precise like to the end of one etc yeah i think that's i think that's a fair a fair uh statement for sure that the trends are certainly headed in that direction and that's a very good thing for us as humans the more targeted a therapy can be the more effective it can be the less side effects we'll have and what will come with that is all the complexity that we're talking about now and being able to access those therapies will continue to be an important industry challenge to solve for uh, the industry as a whole, for physicians, for patients, and for, for everybody kind of in this ecosystem together. Where would you recommend that, like, I guess on the patient side, if they were looking for resources for something, like, would you be able to point them in the right direction or even on the provider side for them to get, like, how does that flow of information typically go? Is it like, should they be waiting to receive it or should they be out there seeking it? Does that make sense? Yeah, it sure does. Your question really kind of gets to when a patient needs a specific drug and a physician wants to be able to prescribe a drug, what do they do and kind of how do they figure it out? And today there's a lot of different systems that are used. There's different EMR technology that can have some of that information. There's what's called patient services hubs that can have some of that information. There's different kind of adjacent resources and technologies. A lot of what our business does is is the intelligence that flows through those systems is the work that we're doing. So I would say that moving forward and even today, what patients should do is talk to their physicians about the therapies that they're on and how to kind of get access to that. What physicians should do is continue to kind of tap into the resources they have. And what everybody should know as an industry is that as we move forward and putting these assets together to be able to simplify this technology and workflow is that the intelligence around this is going to get better and better. I can only imagine. So ultimately, don't be afraid to have a conversation with your doctor. Like open communication, ask questions, try to be open to whatever information is available. And it might be different each time you visit, I'm sure, because the pace of change is happening so quickly. Absolutely. That is the the ever... uh, ever consistent theme here. Maureen, thank you so much for spending some time with me. It's been a pleasure just kind of getting to know and for me genuinely learning a little bit more about how all of this fits together. If people want to follow you, work with you, connect with you, like what direction would you point them in? Yeah, sure. So I would 
send them to the right now the MMIT website. So it's mmitnetwork.com is a good place to be able to kind of collect some more information about kind of our mission and purpose and the way in which we have to solve these problems. Wonderful. I will include that in our show notes. So thank you so much. Okay, you take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Hit like a girl podcast is a proud member of the health podcast network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission driven which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com.